0: Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. This is your weekly podcast delivering you the insight, ideas, and inspiration to successfully change and transform in our ever evolving world of retail. Enjoy listening. Well, hello, and welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. I'm Oliver Banks, your host, and delighted, as always, to be your guide, helping show you the way to successful retail transformation. Thank you for tuning in. This one is episode 166, number 166. Now, I'm sure it will not have avoided your attention that there has been a focus over the past few years on growing the services side of a retail business. And in addition, if you look to our physical retail locations, high streets, malls, etc. There has been a rise in the professional services industry. Over the past 10 years or so, we've seen a real rise in coffee shops, hairdressers, beauty salons, and a number of other service-led businesses. So I'm wondering, what can the retail industry learn from this professional services industry? So to help us explain more, we continue our Bunch of Banks' series, where we're talking to interesting and insightful people with the surname Banks. And today, I'm delighted to welcome Freddie Banks. Freddie has 14 years of experience in the beauty industry, working in the L'Oreal group, hand in hand with hairdressing professionals across the UK and Ireland. He is now the Global Deputy General Manager for Kerastase, part of the L'Oreal group. And he looks after their business operations across the globe. Previously, he's been the UK and Ireland general manager for industry leading brands at L'Oreal, including L'Oreal Professional Paris and Kerastase. He's passionate about leadership and motivating others around him with a rich experience in the professional services industry. So I'm excited to get into this session Show notes are at obandco.uk slash 166. Right, here we go. So I'm delighted to welcome Freddie Banks to the Retail Transformation Show. Freddie, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Good to see you and thank you for welcoming me to the show. Now, this is part of our Bunch of Banks' series. So the very first question, Freddie... Is, are we related? I think so. Judging by the fact that uh, many people over our time of growing up would say
1: how similar we looked, and also the fact that we spent the vast majority of our life living together, I would
0: definitely say we are brothers in arms. <laughs> Indeed, we are. So, yeah, Freddie is my brother and uh, brother from the same mother. <laughs> yeah, very pleased to welcome him onto the show. He's got a ton of experience, which I'm really excited to be diving into. So we're going to be talking about professional services on the high street in physical locations, but let's just get everyone on the same page first. What are we talking about when we use the term professional services? So for me, when you think professional
1: services, it's basically anything that requires a deep level of training uh, and upskilling to be able to deliver that service. So it could be uh, a doctor, it could be an architect, it could be an electrician, Or in my case, uh, the industry that I work in, it could be hairdressing as well. So think of it as something that you can't do yourself unless if you've had the training. And it's not just simple training where you go on a one day course and voila, you know it. It's about having a long, deep training with a skill set, often science based or artistic based for, for many, many years for some of these professions. That's what makes it a difference for me as a professional service.
0: Got it. Yeah. And I think it's interesting when you say it's either got a science element or an artistic element. But yeah, both deep skill sets, like you say, and actually they are things that can't be done so easily online, which has been in many ways a, a blessing because across many towns, certainly in the UK, the type of stores that you see popping up are things like hairdressers, things like nail bars, which are these professional services that do take time and can't be replicated online. But at the same time, the pandemic has also been challenging because these very same businesses can't, <laughs> by, by the very nature, turn online easily. What have been the sort of the lasting changes from the pandemic, do you think, Freddie? There's many, many lasting changes
1: from the pandemic that will affect all of us. But when we look at specifically in professional uh, industries, when I when I look at professional hairdressing as well, there's there's actually a lot of positives that the the pandemic has brought, as well as a lot of challenges. And I'll come on to the challenges and how they can be dealt with. But the positives for me, like, it really highlights the professional in professional services you know when we we sat in that first and the second lockdown in the uk the number of people that were really complaining and saying i need my hairdresser back i feel like it was the top number one thing that people were uh, wanting they'd done many botched jobs at home trying to do their hair and it really shone a light on <laughs> the importance of professional hairdressing like for me uh, it was really like it was the most essential, non-essential retail business that there was out there. And everyone uh, was, was going back into their salon. I remember when salons first opened, I think it was on the 4th of July, and there were like hues of people going down the street just to get into their local salon and their barber. So it put a, it's put a lot of positive kind of efficacy behind the industry. But like you say, uh, obviously lots and lots of challenges that have come with it. It's not traditionally an online business model, but I've been really impressed with how a lot of people switched and tried to become online, be it through setting up a small e-commerce site to keep the trade and business going during lockdown and continued afterwards. But also this kind of like digitalization of the experience, which I think is something quite interesting to to look at. So many many salons are are now doing online consultation. So instead of you having to go into the salon to have a consultation, if you're having your hair color done, you can do it online through a Zoom or a, a FaceTime call. And it made me think it's quite similar to how you can do a lot of doctor's appointments online. If you don't need to do something physical, that that profession has also transformed and started doing things digitally as well if you're getting repeat prescriptions and so on. Mm. And also it's, it's really shifted everyone to advance in in digitalization so if you were an industry that was maybe a bit sluggish to digitalize it's really pushed that because it became a necessity and I I really think that in the first six weeks of the pandemic we all as a as a nation and possibly globally advanced in the world of digital probably six years worth of uh, digitalization in six weeks Um, and that actually is really powerful to show how
0: innovative people can be when they when they really need to be. Mm. It's also quite interesting when you think about a business like a hairdresser's or any other professional service where they weren't able to trade, suddenly you had that headspace, right? Yes, of course, huge financial stress of zero sales. But suddenly, you know, we're all so crazy, crazily busy, I should say. Some of us are occasionally crazy. (laughs) But (laughs) you just don't have the, 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 the time to be able to think about what could I do about this sort of online appointment? You know, do, do I even know that technology exists, for example? But suddenly you, you get more exposure and you've got a little bit of time to think about it. So I think, yeah, that great reset will have actually revolutionised many businesses. And it will be interesting to see how that continues to evolve, assuming we don't have the same uh, luxury, <laughs> air quotes, yeah. of a lockdown again.
1: And, and I think... That point you, you really resonates with me on uh, the mindset piece, because if you cast your mind back to pre-pandemic times, we were kind of all in this uh, invisible rat race, be it from a work perspective or a life perspective. Everything was so fast and we were just running for the thing in front of us all the time. And often people weren't taking that step back to look at the bigger picture, look at the strategy of their business, the way they motivate their team, what type of leader they want to be in a business. And having that time in the pandemic, once everyone had kind of got over the kind of the shock factor of what on earth was going on, everyone then had that time to think, actually, is the brand that I have for my business the right one? Are the, the, the products that I'm working with the right thing? The, the way I'm motivating my team the right thing? And people came up with some really amazing, innovative, uh, inspiring ideas on on what to do and shift to their business. And, and they're now putting it into action and have been for the last uh, 12 to 18 months it's it's really Mm. an important lesson even when when all of this is behind us to take that time to take your step back and and look at your business in a bigger picture and not just at the problems that are
0: right in front of you there and then yeah absolutely and particularly uh, some of these big transformational changes don't need to be technology led right you know how do I treat my team it doesn't need to be owned by a digital device but it could just be actually how do we how do we best communicate how do we best build relationships as a team and as individuals and you're absolutely right that has got to be a huge learning for all of us just to take that time out take the periods of reflection on a regular occurrence hopefully not not every time a pandemic comes around whatever but actually think what is it that I need to do differently and how am I going to do that differently and make it happen ultimately which is a, a, a key learning to take away for sure so I'd like to, to also ask about any other sort of innovations that you've seen professional services companies roll out to develop the customer experience or their sort of operating model and ways of working? Yeah, sure. So there's quite a lot of different things going on. So
1: one of the things I find really inspiring and really cool is this kind of concept of virtual try-on technology. So Imagine when you're looking in uh, the world world of uh, hairdressing and you say, I want to change my color. You were always going in a bit blindly. Uh, maybe you have a picture from a magazine or you could see the swatch of the color that it would look like, but you never see it on yourself. And mm. now there's amazing technology out there where you can literally on your on your phone, uh, you can download uh, an app that we have and you literally can say, hey, I want my hair to be red, blonde, uh, highlights to that. And you can see it there and then on your face uh, right in front of you. I think that's an amazing uh, way that you kind of have this digital experience brought to a physical uh, service. And it's almost this blend of digital and physical, uh, I call it fidgetal, type of uh, experience that consumers can can have. And then the other thing in terms of uh, innovating within professional services is and this is something that was coming from before the pandemic, but it's kind of continued and continues to grow is how do we deliver personalization in everything that we do? And, Mm. you know, I don't mean, you know, personalization isn't always just about putting your initials on a, on a product or uh, an engraving or something like this It's about how to have a really personal service delivered to you uh, from your professional, be it your hairdresser, your doctor, (laughs) your electrician, whoever it is. And that's what drives people to come back to the same business and drives that loyalty because they feel that they're being treated as an individual and as a person, not as just another number in a business. And I think personalization in everything that you do is really important as a kind of core mantra for a business to have. And also, if you then have the the products to help you deliver that personalized service
0: also is a a plus side for whatever the business that, that you might be in. So help us bring it to life. What would a great personalised service look like? How would it work? So for me, it always starts with the consultation. So if we
1: just look at the hairdressing industry, you want to have a a deep consultation. It is not just talking about the result that you want on your hair, but it's also understanding you as a person because, you know, your hair, we, we often say like your hair is your fashion accessory that you wear every single day. So uh, it's something very important and very <laughs> intrinsically linked to the confidence of, uh, of a woman, for, for example. So to really understand that woman's personality and how you can then reflect her personality through her hair is something that really makes that service personal. But then if we say looked in uh, another business, say like restaurants or um, cocktail bars or something like this, how do you bring personalization into that? And I've seen many different uh, places where they don't have a menu, for example, and you go and you have a consultation with be it the maitre d' of the the restaurant or the or the bar and they will create a meal or a drink for you based on your consultation what more personalization could you
0: have than that yep uh, something made just for you yeah no that's that's incredible and a lot of this you know you hinted strongly at it right at the very start right a lot of this comes down to the experience of the individuals the The people that are doing the consultation with the customers how are you seeing different companies helping to evolve that sort of upskilling that level up of the individual people so that they can have these fantastic deep consultations which can be quite difficult to do on a you know someone that's just literally walked in and you've got who knows what they are looking for right in front of you
1: yeah so it is really important and now Honestly, more than ever, the consumer is more informed than they ever used to be. So not only is there a need for this continued training because you want to be able to deliver a personalised service, there's also a need for it because you don't want to be in a position where your consumer uh, that you're you're delivering the service to may know more than you do, which can then be often uh, (laughs) destabilising
0: for the professional as well. That's actually quite an issue that we come across in the retail industry where... We've all got phones and access to all of the detailed product specs and thousands of reviews and YouTube videos and this and that and everything else. And suddenly, you know, as a, as a store colleague, you've got someone coming in asking about a particular product and they know all yep. about it. And they've done hours of research potentially. And it's uh, you, you, you've got to roll with it. Right. <laughs> yep. So, yes, that education and skills piece is is key. I think there's there's two things on this that, uh, to
1: kind of come back and answer your question. One is you almost want to create like connoisseurs or geeks on your on your brand or your product. So what I mean by this is like, it's not just reading the whatever the product is, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be uh, in, the, in the hair and beauty industry. It could be any industry. There's the, the, the core facts of the product that you can find online on uh, brand websites and things like this. But what is the, the stuff that only a connoisseur would know that isn't mm-hmm. maybe necessarily available online? What I'm thinking is like, you know, when people say, oh, did you know, like, what's the did you know fact? By the way, did you know this kind of unique insight? The shape of the product is like this because of, uh, you know, some uh, some heritage uh, inspiration on the brand. Like, What's the fun fact that only a, a geek of the brand would know? And that's something yep. that you can then arm your your staff and your employees with. The second thing is education beyond the product. So yes, information on the product you can find online. Yes, we can educate our staff on it. What is the education beyond the product? So what is the education on the experience that they're delivering? So if you're a member of staff in the store, often you have situations where you might be working in a very high end department store. And you're not earning the type of salary where you would be able to shop in that department store, yet you're dealing with people who are. So yes. if you're uh, in a situation like that, how do you have this time when you can have a, a genuine personal conversation with someone who's earning a you know, six figure salary or higher when you're not? Like, how do you create that bond? So it's this education mm. on having that conversation, the type of language to, to talk about keeping them updated with latest trends within that community as well. So they can they can give relevance to the conversation when they're when they're engaging with the client or consumer.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's obviously a key part and it's, it's again, thinking about that sort of customer knowledge and who is who is the customer, what is it they're thinking about, talking about much more than just what the product is, how the checkout system works, yes. et cetera, et cetera. But yeah it's right. a much softer side of the engagement.
1: And, and I, I really uh, draw a lot of uh, inspiration from the restaurant trade as well. So if you imagine, say, like the difference between in a Michelin star restaurant with a sommelier, when they bring you your bottle of wine and they consult you on your bottle of wine versus an average high street restaurant where they might have a wine list, think of the different experience in the way that they would talk about the product, not what they say, what they say might be the same, but the way they talk about it. The way they would then present the bottle to you, the way they would open it, the way they would pour the glass for you, all of these things, it might be exactly the same bottle of wine, but the experience you would get would be totally different in those Mm. two restaurants. And so how are you in your business delivering that Michelin star sommelier experience versus average, average
0: restaurant on the high street experience? I love it. I love it. I love these, uh, these lessons i suppose that we're taking from other industries and we can apply them back into our own industry whether it is in the world of hairdressing whether it is another professional service or actually whether it is a broader retail setting as well fantastic freddie i'd love to ask you about the other disruptions facing the industry we've obviously touched on the challenges of of the pandemic and having to close which fingers crossed is over now maybe (laughs) what else is facing the professional services industry as a challenge or a potential disruption so
1: yeah sure so you know the first one like we've touched on is the the, the rise of e-commerce you know e-commerce is here to here to stay there's no uh, <laughs> there's no way to fight against it like some might have thought 10 years ago it's more how do we coexist with it how do we get on board with it and how do we uh, how do we benefit from it as well yes one of the other disruptions that is is really impacting most service industries is the staffing disruption. So there's a couple of elements, you know, where and I know this is also affecting the farming industry hugely, is there are less people uh, wanting to do those types of jobs in the UK, partly because of uh, going to other countries during the pandemic, partly linked to Brexit, partly linked, I'm sure, to other reasons as well. There's a bit of a staffing issue, a crisis almost, I think, in uh, a lot of trades, especially restaurants and cafes and, and salons as well. And, and specifically within the professional hair industry, there's there's been a big disruption, actually, that is related to what we call independent hairdressers or independent stylists. Okay. So previously, if we went back to just before the pandemic, about half of people who were a professional hairdresser were working in a salon and half of them were what we call an independent stylist. So this could be a home hairdresser and this could be someone who is like a mobile hairdresser as well, so would come to your house and, and do their hair. But since the pandemic that has, has risen, and at the end of last year, it was uh, 65% of hairdressers were then an independent hairdresser. So in the space of just a few years, it's gone from 50 to 65%, which is a big shift in the weight of, uh, of, uh, of stylists. So this means it's putting a, a pressure again on finding the right staff to have in salon, but also mm. it's shifting towards consumer behaviors where we've seen this rise of on-demand services, whether or not it's the uberization of industries in taxis, it's on-demand TV with Netflix. This kind of almost on-demand hairdressing—I want to have my hair done at home—is kind of le- leaning into this as well as, and also with the pandemic, people are—you know—maybe some people are less wanting to go out of their house, so they mm. would prefer someone to come and see them. So it's kind of all of these things kind of move around uh, at the moment in terms of the staffing issues. Mm. For, for salons, which can make it really challenging. But then I think this brings back the importance of education. So if you have an inspired, constantly educated, constantly driven team that you're really investing in, why would you want to leave that team? Because when you suddenly go out on your own, it's very lonely and you don't have that support mechanism of a team and that education. So that's why, again, I would implore uh, anyone listening, uh, any any business owner listening, educating and inspiring and motivating
0: your team is the core to success of any business. Just to explore it, what do you see the differences between the sort of the chain salons and how they work versus a one-off business salon versus the independent sort of potential mobile model? How do you see those differing? And in particular, does one have an advantage over the other? In terms of the way they manage their team or just generally in business? Generally as, as a business model, I suppose.
1: And this isn't necessarily related just to, to hairdressing. It can be similar with restaurant chains. It can be similar with any service led industry. You know, when you have, if we just tackle the difference between an independent business and a, and a kind of a, a chain business, a chain business, you have the benefit of like more brand awareness, bigger teams. So you'd think you'd get a uh, kind of more economies of scale from your business, but then you also have the challenge where how do you control your your brand equity and your values and the service if you have twenty pizza restaurants versus one? How do you control and make sure the twenty pizza restaurants are always amazing? Is very very difficult. So there's always pros and cons, and then it's almost the flip side when you have a single standalone business. The constraints and the negatives of the the chain are the benefits of the independent business. It's one it's one shop, it's one store, it's one restaurant. Uh, you can keep an eye on, you can quality check, you can almost see every single plate that goes out of the kitchen or every haircut that walks out of the door, you know, is perfect and you can control this. But then you maybe have less of the uh, kind of benefits of economies of scale and all of this kind of stuff. And and it's there's no right or wrong. I know many business owners that have got, uh, you know, many, many stores and many, uh, many businesses and do very, very well. And I know a lot of people that have just one salon or one business and they are, very, very successful. So there's no right or wrong method. I think it's more about what is the right one for you and which is the one you want to uh, to go down. And then the independent yep. stylist piece is is uh, very different because you are it, you are a one man band. You know uh, you are your business. Um, you don't rely on uh, your team to deliver the business. So it's very much what you uh, what you put in, you get back out again. Um, and it's uh, you are your brand. Uh, there's no mm-hmm. other brand to hide behind. Um, which even more so, then you've got you've got the perfect quality control because
0: you're the only one responsible for for delivering that. Yep, that makes sense. That makes sense. Any other disruptions that would be worth highlighting? The, the other big disruption
1: I've noticed, and it, it's something I've really noticed in the last twelve months, becoming even stronger. And I question about this classifying as a disruption because a disruption is something that's sudden and changes everything. But I still think it's it's really shifting. Is the whole world of, of sustainability. And the reason for this is I just, I'm just noticing this year more than ever. Sustainability is everywhere. It's no longer a niche. Like I, I feel like five years ago, it was a bit of a, an, yeah. a a niche angle to have for your brand. If you look, if you walked into a store and you looked at a shelf in um, a supermarket or, a, you know, a, a pharmacy or wherever it would be that you go into, there would be like a minute amount of brands that would have a sustainability angle and the rest were just the traditional uh, brands that we know and love now I feel every brand you go to any uh, brand store there's an overwhelming strength of sustainability behind everything that they do like it's almost that you have to have a stance and a purpose for your brand and if you don't like customers smell it like they can see the the lack of it and it, it starts to really impact so again i would i would implore anyone listening if you haven't kind of built a purpose for your brand in terms of uh, what you're wanting to do to try and uh, support sustainability and when i say sustainability i'm not just talking necessarily about carbon emissions and saving the planet like there can be yep. uh um, socio-economic sustainability as well um community mm. sustainability there's various different things but to have some form of purpose is really important and i think I really noticed it this Christmas, actually, when, when looking at what brands are doing at Christmas time, often a tried and tested method would be to do a collaboration, right? So you often get like a a beauty brand collaborating with a fashion brand or a, a tech brand collaborating with another type of brand, whatever. So many more of the collaborations are brands collaborating with charities. So for example, like Zara had, have done a collaboration with the British Red Cross. Selfridges mm. did a collaboration with, this, uh, with a company called The Toy Project, which um, works with uh, recycled and reusing toys to, to give to those uh, less fortunate. And it just seemed everyone was doing this collaboration with a charity or a sustainability-led platform, not just another private business, which mm. I thought was really interesting as a disruption. And it's yeah. a case of uh, you know, really
0: get on the case with this piece. Otherwise, you're very much going to get left behind. Yes, and it's more of an evolution. Rather than a, a disruptive force that happens at one moment, like you say. Yeah. That makes sense. And just as we come to the close of our conversation, Freddie, I'd just like to touch, I suppose, on what retail can learn from professional services. We've touched on many different aspects, but I'd just love to ask you that question just to get your your sort of overarching thoughts. So
1: at the heart of at the heart of professional services is experience. And I think when you read any kind of journals on the future of retail experience keeps coming back to being the thing that you have to crack if you're going to be successful in the future the professional service industries have this at their heart of uh, heart of it they know what to do but always challenge yourself if you're if you're a traditional retail business model working in uh, either the bricks or the clicks what is the right experience that you are giving and often i think this can come because it's very easy to say deliver a great experience The experience can come through education. Um, So, so this is where I think is very different, like at the heart of professional services, education and experience, you have to be educated and you always deliver an experience. When yep. we say you have to be educated, we're not talking about degrees and the like, right? No, it's just some form <laughs> of, uh, you know, the education that delivers you to be able to do that profession. Yeah. doesn't yeah. mean just because you have a degree, uh, it's a tick in a box. It's educated specifically on that. Usually profession. quite the opposite. Yes, quite. So education experience is, is at the heart. And, and therefore, like, because it's not at the heart of retail, I think, but I think there's something that people are craving for. Um, as we were saying earlier, like, you know, education beyond the product. Uh, what's that kind of uh, connoisseur element that you could you could empower your uh, your teams to go beyond this basic product knowledge that people can find out about online, and also what is the amazing experience that you can give to your clients? What's that old saying is uh some people will forget what you say, but they will never ever forget how you made them feel, and I think that's where you get mm. this from uh, from the experience. So those would be the main things, and also it's not just the experience that you deliver through your staff it can be the experience that you deliver through your store as well and like the layout of the store the merchandising as well just to give a, a real life example I was I was seeing some stores uh, near where I live last week uh, I went into two different department stores I won't name them one of them was very very good and gave excellent brand expression to all of the different brands that you would go into and the other yep. one had almost so much stripped back that brand expression so that it was only the overarching brand of the department store that you could see right yeah if you're going in to buy a luxury good from one of these department stores and you're paying the same amount of money for the two items you can don't you want that brand experience that you have when you're buying into it versus mm. the one that's been stripped back and I just it really resonated with me that this had almost been completely stripped back and I would no way would I buy a luxury uh, or or high-end product from this department store they hadn't they hadn't allowed for any form of brand experience because that's part yeah.
0: of what you want to buy into is an experience and, yeah, it, wasn't there. and it was fascinating and if you have restricted that brand's purpose as well then, yeah, the feeling doesn't come across, right? And it is no. just another product. Yeah, exactly. It's just another product.
1: So I won't buy that or buy the uh, the cheaper alternative, probably, because yep. that hasn't been allowed. Yeah, and that, that's probably the things I would really pick out as like the key things of how do we
0: learn from professionals and bring it into the retail business? That's absolutely fascinating. And there have been tons of golden nuggets in there for you to to pick up from Freddie. So Freddie, I'd just like to say thank you so much Bro, <laughs> for uh, no problem, for, bro. for joining me here on the show and sharing, like I say, a ton of golden nuggets. I think it's a really fascinating space, and I do hope that people uh, learn to pick up lots of learnings from whether it be the professional services we've touched on today or other industries as well. And Freddie, just before you do disappear, I'd love to ask: Where can people find out more about about you or about some of the concepts we've been talking about today? so you can uh, follow
1: me on uh, linkedin i'm more than happy to follow any conversations up offline so to speak well offline but online on linkedin <laughs> so it's just ready <laughs> banks uh, search for me there and uh, be more than happy to talk to anyone and share some more insights i love talking about this stuff it's something i'm really passionate about so bring
0: it on fantastic thank you so much thank you Ah, wasn't that amazing? I loved having Freddie Banks on the show, my brother, of course. And I think he shared some fantastic golden nuggets for all of us to learn from and help to transform retail in the way that the professional services industry has seen massive growth and massive change as well. And this episode brings our Bunch of banks's mini-series to a close. It's been fantastic speaking to other insightful and interesting people named banks who can help you to transform your retail business. And it was fantastic to close out with a real special guest today. (laughs) If you're wanting to continue to explore more episodes like this, then I've got three recommendations for you right now. Firstly, take a listen to episode 163, number 163, which was another episode from The Bunch of Bankses, where I was talking to Lou Banks, about learning to have conversations that matter. A key skill, actually, when you think about this move to professional services and that consultation mindset that Freddie was talking about. Also check out episode 154, number 154, where Liam O'Meara from Axonify was helping us to avoid frontline burnout. And the reason I chose that episode was, again, a real focus on this education element and how you can excel at training for your wider colleagues. And then finally, take a long scroll back through the archives to episode 59, where I was exploring how you can create memorable experiences. And I was researching and understanding how the brain works to help you think about how you can design experiences or services for that matter so that they stick in your customers' hearts and minds. So do enjoy listening to those episodes, 163, 154, and 59. And if you can't remember those episodes, then the one place to head right now is over to today's show notes, which you can find at obandco.uk slash 166. I'll put those episodes there, I'll put a little bit more about Freddie Banks. And of course, whilst you are over there, do sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing, which will help you to keep your finger firmly on the pulse of the ever evolving world of retail. With key headlines and intel from all of the innovations and changes and disruptions that are happening to our industry. Thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast and I look forward to joining you on another episode very, very soon. Bye for now.